We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the second piece in Elchus Tomas Meis. This is Parak Zion, Halacha Zion. And in this piece, Rab Chaim is touching on similar themes to the previous one. He's trying to define when exactly Tomas Kever, the impurity of the grave, applies. The case that the Rambam is discussing is where there's impurity, there's a dead body within a wall, but that Tuma does not permeate to the sides of the wall, but then someone adds a roof connected to that wall. So there's a debate between the Rambam and the Raivid how that affects the nature of this Tuma. The Rambam writes, Tuma shehi ritzutza bakosel, if there's Tuma, a dead body in a wall, v'samach sukala kosel, and then he connected a roof to that wall, hasuka tameya, so within that sukkah, within that structure, is now totally tame, like a regular ohel, the Tuma permeates throughout the structure. Sharei nasa kosel tzad mitzide ha-ohel, because now this wall is one of the walls of the overall structure, so the Tuma goes goes from the wall throughout the entire structure. So the Rambam poses a theoretical problem, which is if there would be no roof connected to this wall, the Tumah would not have gone throughout the wall. So there would be no Tumah on the sides of the wall. It just goes up and down like Tumah Ritsutsa. So the issue this raises is why by adding a roof connected to the wall does that expand the scope of the Tumah if to be begin with, this Tumah was not traveling to the sides of the wall. It was just going up and down. So how did a roof connected to the wall change that? So the Rambam answers, Once a roof gets attached to the wall, so that now transforms the nature of this structure. It's no longer a body within a wall which goes up and down, but it's now part of an overall structure. So at that point, it turns into Ohel, and the Ohel transfers the Tumah throughout the entire structure. So that's how the Tumah starts to permeate the whole structure, even though originally it was just going up and down in the wall because once a roof is attached, it transforms into Tomas Ohel and it goes all over. Now the Ravid disagrees. He says, Ein derech Mishnah kidvarav. The Ravid believes that the Mishnah goes against the Rambam's ruling. The Mishnah in Oalos Perek Zion says, Nefesh Atuma, a small confined mausoleum. So there's no tefach of airspace. So that's the equivalent of a body within a wall. Anyone that touches the side of that mausoleum, the side of the wall, is tahor. There's no tuma because the tuma goes up and down, but it does not go to the sides. If there was a tefach of airspace in the mausoleum, so then then someone who touches it on any side is because that is the case of Tomas Kever. That's what's defined in Halacha as a grave. So the Tumah permeates throughout. Then the Mishnah says, If he attaches the roof, so he transforms this into a structure. So the first opinion is Temeos, that the Tumah goes all over. Rabbi Yehuda Metahe, Rabbi Yehuda disagrees and holds that it's Tahor. So there's three cases that the Mishnah discusses. One is a small 
small mausoleum, like a wall that does not have a tefach of airspace above the body. The second is a larger structure where there is a tefach of airspace above the body. And the third is where he added sukos, he added a roof, so it became a structure. So the Rivet understands that the third case of the sukos is only building on the second case where there was a tefach of airspace to begin with. So in that case, the tumma is already permeating the entire wall. So if someone touches any side of that wall, they become tameh because it's considered a kever. So on that, the Mishnah adds that if he added a roof, that's also tameh. But it's only going on the second case where there was already tumma because there's a tefach of airspace, so it's considered a kever. But it's not going back to the first case where there's no tumma on the sides to begin with because then we're back to the Rambam's question. How could it be that there's no tumma on the sides, but adding a roof does permeate the tumma and transport it throughout? How does that make sense when to begin with the tumma was not being transported throughout the wall? So the Ravid disagrees with this notion of the Rambam that even though the tumma was not going to all of the sides of this building, adding a roof transforms it into an ohel. According to the Ravid, if the tumma to begin with is not going to the sides, then adding a roof is not going to change that. Only when the tumma was going to the sides, because it's a kever, so then adding a roof will make it that the whole ohel is now tameh. Now, the Rambam interprets the Mishnah that the third case of adding the roof is going back on the first case as well. So even though in the first case it's not considered a kever because there is no tefach of airspace, so the sides of the wall are not tameh, but as the Rambam explains, even so, if someone attached a roof to it, so that transforms the nature of this tumma. It's no longer tumma ritsutsa, which just goes up and down. Now it becomes part of an ohel, a structure. So the tumma now permeates throughout the entire structure. So attaching that roof to the wall transforms the tumma from tumma ritsutsa into tumas ohel. And there's a parallel halacha to this in the Mishnah in Olos Perak Vav. The Mishnah is saying that a wall is divided in half and each half of the wall belongs to the structure that it's closest to. So it illustrates this with the case of a wall which is on one side of the house and on the other side of the wall is nothing. It's just air. And there's tumma underneath this wall. So the Mishnah says, On the half of the wall, which is closest to the house, if the tumma is under there, then the whole house becomes tameh. But if the tumma is on the half of the wall to the outside of the house, so then it would not go throughout the house. But either way, we see that even though there's tumma in the wall, so that's tumma ritsutsa, it should just go up and down. Since that wall is connected to a house, it's considered to be in the house and it permeates throughout the entire house. So the same is true in this case, even though it's a nefesh atuma, it's a small mausoleum. So there's no tefach airspace. It's not a kever. It's considered like a wall. But even so, if someone attaches a roof to it, so now this wall becomes part of the overall structure and if there's a body underneath the wall so it permeates throughout the entire structure.
Now, if these two halachas are parallel, so then the question is why the Rambam doesn't distinguish in this halacha between the half of the wall, which is next to the structure, versus the half of the wall, which is on the other side. When it comes to the house, so the Mishnah distinguishes within the wall. We divide it in half, and only the half of the wall, which is next to the house, is part of the house. So why doesn't the Rambam record the same distinction in this case, where he added the sukkah roof to the wall, that only if the tumah is under the half of the wall closer to the sukkah does it permeate throughout the sukkah. So Rab Chaim explains that the Rambam differentiates between a wall which is part of the house, so it's built into the structure of a house, there only the inner half of the wall is considered part of the house. But in this case of the sukkah roof, he's not building the wall into the structure, he's just resting the roof on top of the wall. So in that case, the entire wall is considered part of the ohel. So that's why the Rambam doesn't differentiate whether the tumah in this case is under the side closer to the sukkah or not, because it doesn't matter. Since the sukkah roof is resting on top of the wall, any tumah under any part of the wall is considered part of the whole structure. And this distinction Rab Chaim finds in the language of the Rambam himself, where he records this halacha dividing the wall in chapter 24, the Rambam writes, Kosel shula abir kosel. If there's a wall, half of it goes to nothing, to air, and the other half goes to the house. The eno mork of al kosel. And the roof of the house is not supported by the wall. So then we divide it that the half that's closer to the house is considered part of the house. So the Rambam implies very clearly in the way he records that halacha that there's a difference between a roof which is supported by a wall versus if it's resting on a wall. If it's supported by a wall, so the wall is part of the structure, then we divide the wall and only the inner half is considered part of the house. But if the roof is resting on the wall, so then the entire wall is considered part of the structure, even the outer half. So that's why the Rambam doesn't differentiate in the case of the sukkah, because he understands that that is a case where the roof is resting on the wall. So the entire half, even the outer part, is considered part of the sukkah structure. And if there's a dead body under any part of the wall, it permeates throughout the entire sukkah structure. So this explains the logic of the Rambam's approach and how he reads it into the Mishnayos and Ohalos. According to the Rambam, the case of the sukkah wall in the Mishnah is going even on a wall which does not have a tefach, so it's tumaritsutsa. And the reason is because once the wall becomes part of a structure, the tumah transforms from ritsutsa to tumas ohel and it goes throughout the entire structure. And it's even more stringent than the case in chapter 6 where we divide the wall and only the tumma under the inner half of the wall is part of the structure because here the roof is resting on the wall so it's not built into the structure so therefore tumma under any part of the wall is going to permeate throughout the entire sukkah structure. So that's the way to make sense of the Rambam's rulings. Now this Mishnah in chapter 6 which says that tumma under the wall is considered part of the house is a question on the Ravid because he says that when there's 
a roof added to the wall, it does not permeate the tumah throughout the structure. So why should that be different than the case of the house where the Mishnah very clearly says that tumah under the wall, even though it's tumah ritsutsa, once it's part of an overall structure, the tumah goes throughout the entire ohel. So Rab Chaim explains that the rivet holds the case of the sukkah is different than the case of the house because the roof of the sukkah is not a real roof. That's the whole point. It's just a temporary roof or a transportable roof, but it's not an actual structure. So the rivet holds the only time Tuma travels from a wall into the structure is when it's an actual real built structure like a house. But if it's just a temporary thing that they threw a roof over this wall, so that doesn't move the Tuma all around. So that's how the rivet differentiates between the case of the sukkah and the case of the house. Now, Rab Chaim does ask on the Rambam two issues. First of all, why didn't the Rambam specify that the roof of the sukkah is resting on this wall? The Rambam does not make a big deal about that, even though that's the reason why he doesn't divide this wall like in the case of the house. So the Rambam should have just added that word in that it's murkav al hakosel, that the roof of the sukkah is resting on this wall. So that's one omission in the Rambam. Second, Rab Chaim wants to know, why does the Rambam divide these two halachas of the house and the roof when at the root, they're the same halacha. So why is the halacha of the house recorded in chapter 24 and the halacha of the sukkah is recorded in chapter 7? If they're the same halacha, they should have been placed together in the Rambam's rulings. So in order to answer this, Rab Chaim tries to explain more clearly what the nature of Tumas Kever is. So the Mishnah in Oalos differentiates between whether there's a tefach of an airspace or not. If there's a wall with a body underneath it and there's no tefach of airspace, then that's not a kever and the tumah just goes up and down, tumah ritsutza. But if there's a tefach of an airspace, then that transforms it into tumas kever and now the tumah goes throughout the entire wall. So now Rab Chaim wonders, in the case where the wall is part of a house, so the Tumah permeates throughout the whole house, does that house also transform the wall into Tumas Kever? Meaning, do we say that even though there's no Tefach of airspace, so this should be Tumah Ritsutza that just goes up and down the wall, but since the wall is connected to the house, so there's Tumas Ohel, and the Tumah permeates throughout the whole house, so that also changes the very nature of this wall and it's now considered Tumas Kever. Or do we differentiate and we say that even though the Tumah permeates throughout the house under Tumas Ohel, but it doesn't change the nature of the Tumah in the wall, it's not considered Tumas Kever because the Ohel of the house doesn't transform the wall itself into Tumas Kever. And also, a Kever is defined by having a Tefach of airspace. So long as it doesn't have a Tefach of airspace, even if the Tumah is permeating throughout the structure, it's not considered Tumas Kever. So according to the second approach, even though the Tumah does expand beyond Tumah Ritsutsa, it's not just going up and down the wall. It's going throughout the whole structure, but the body and the wall still do not get the status of Tumas Kever. So there's a divide. Even though there's no Tumas Kever, there is Tumas Ohel from this body. 
So in order to clarify this, Rab Chaim asks another question on the Rambam. The Rambam three halachas earlier in halacha Dalid, and that was the halacha that the previous piece of Rab Chaim focused on. So the Rambam rules that the definition of Tumas Kether is that there's an airspace of a tefach by a tefach. And then he says, Zeklal Gadol. The principle of this halacha is, Shekol davar hametame ba'ohel min hameis, im hayarotzut she'ein lo chalal tefach hatumah bo'kas va'ola. Any time there's a dead body which does not have a tefach, so it's tumah ritsutza, the tumah just goes up and down, and it does not go to the sides. So that's why there can't be tumas kever when there's less than a tefach of airspace because of tumah ritsutza. So the Rambam sets up a conflict that either it's tumah ritsutza or it's tumas kever, but the two forms of tumah contradict each other, they can't coexist. So if there's tumah in a case where there's no airspace of a tefach, so that automatically precludes Tomas Kever from taking effect. That's how the Rambam sets this up. So Rab Chaim asks, why should Tuma affect Tomas Kever? Because the two things operate in different arenas. Tuma is a way of understanding how the Tuma gets imparted from the body. So it can either go throughout the structure, it can go to the sides, or Tuma says that it just goes up and down. Tumas Kever, on the other hand, is a form of Tuma. It itself is an object of Tuma. It's not a way of imparting Tuma. So why should these two different concepts from different arenas of Halacha contradict with each other? Tuma Ritsutsa is a way of imparting the Tuma. Kever is an object of Tuma in and of itself. So there's no reason that Tuma Ritsutsa should stop the Kever status from taking effect. So in order to explain the principle of the Rambam, the way he sets this up, Rab Chaim introduces a major conceptual point, which is that the whole concept of Tomas Kever is based on Tomas Ohel. Even though they're slightly different, but the whole status of something being considered a grave in Halacha and having Tomas Kever can only take effect in a situation where there would have been Tomas Ohel that would have permeated throughout this structure. So the whole case of Tomas Kever can only exist in a situation where there would have been Tomas Ohel. And this is based on the Ram he writes, A non-Jewish body does not get Tumas Kever. So the grave of a non-Jew doesn't become a Tumas Kever because a non-Jewish body does not have Tumas Ohel. So it wouldn't permeate throughout a structure. So someone who touches the grave of a non-Jew does not become Tameh because again, there's no Tomas Kever unless they touch or carry the dead non-Jewish body itself, then they become Tameh. So here the Rambam very clearly articulates that in a case where there's no Tomas Ohel like a non-Jewish dead body, so there's also no Tomas Kever and if someone touches their grave, there's no Tomas so that shows that the whole concept of Tomas Kever can only take effect in a situation where Tomas Ohel would have applied. So now 
this answers why the Rambam creates a conflict between Tumaritsutsa versus Tumas Kever. That any case where there's Tumaritsutsa, it cannot become a Kever, because since Tumaritsutsa stops Tumas Ohel, even though it's true that the Tumaritsutsa doesn't conflict with the status of Tumas Kever, but it does conflict with Tumas Ohel, which is another way of spreading and imparting the Tuma. So any case where Tumaritsutsa is the rule, as opposed to Tomas Ohel, it follows that it can't become a Kever because a Kever can only take effect when Tomas Ohel is in effect. But in a case where Tumaritsutsa is stopping the Tomas Ohel from taking effect, so likewise that prevents the grave from being Tame even if someone touches it. So that explains the conflict between Tumaritsutsa and Tomas Kever. It's actually a conflict between Tumaritsutsa and Tomas Ohel, but once there's no Tomas Ohel, that also prevents Tomas Kever. And this also explains why the Rambam groups the requirement to have a tefach of airspace for something to have Tomas Kever with the requirement of a tefach of airspace for Tomas Ohel. Because according to the Rambam, the two rules are related. Only when there's Tomas Ohel, which requires a tefach of airspace, can there be Tomas Kever. So it follows that there needs to be a tefach of airspace for Tomas Kever, but that's the same requirement borrowed from the rules of Tomas Ohel. So there's a strong argument to be made in the Rambam that the idea of Tomas Kever can only apply in a case where there would have been Tomas Ohel, and that's why Tomas Kever does not apply to a non-Jewish body, because there's no Tomas Ohel. That's also why Tumaritsutsa prevents Tomas Kever, and that also accounts for why there needs to be a tefach of airspace for Tomas Kever, because that's the basic requirement to create an Ohel. Now, in the parentheses, Rab Chaim asks that you could differentiate between the case of a non-Jewish body versus a room that has less than a tefach. Because a non-Jewish dead body is totally removed from the whole concept of ohalos, the whole halacha of tumah permeating throughout the room does not apply to a non-Jewish body. As opposed to a room which is missing a tefach of airspace, it's not that the rules of ohalos don't apply, but rather it's since there's no tefach, there's tumaritsutsa. So the tumaritsutsa prevents the Tumah from going throughout the room since it only goes up and down. So that's a very different explanation than why Ohalos doesn't apply to a non-Jewish body. So even though the Rambam said that Tumas Kever does not apply to a non-Jewish body because there's no Tumas Ohel, it's not clear that we can extrapolate from there to the case of a room with less than a Tefach and say that since there's no Tumas Ohel, there's also no Tumas Kever. Because in that case, theoretically, Tomas Ohel does apply, it's just that the Tumaritsutsa is preventing it. So maybe it could be a Kever. And Rab Chaim adds that that must be the position of the Raivid to differentiate between a non-Jewish body and a room with less than a Tefach because the Raivid does hold that Tomas Kever applies when Tumaritsutsa applies in a case where there's exactly a Tefach of airspace including the body. So there's Tumaritsutsa along with Tomas Kever. So according to the Raivid, Tumaritsutsa does not prevent Tomas Kever, but he doesn't argue with the Rambam's rule that there's no Tomas Kever in the case of a non-Jewish body. So the Raivid also agrees that if someone touches a non-Jewish grave, they don't become Tame because of Tomas Kever, based on the fact that there's no Tomas Ohel. So he must differentiate that when it comes to a non-Jewish body, there's no 
ohel at all, so there's no Tomas Kever. If someone touches it, they're Tahor. As opposed to less than a Tefach, where theoretically there is Tomas Ohel, just the Tumaratsutsa blocks it, but that could create Tomas Kever. So if this is the approach of the Raivid, then we don't need to say in the Rambam that the two cases are related. In addition, Rab Chaim adds that it's possible to read the Rambam's ruling regarding a non-Jewish grave in a more technical way. He doesn't mean to say a grand conceptual principle that any time there's no Tomas Ohel, there's no Tomas Kever. He means something much more practical, that since the Torah excluded a non-Jewish body from Tomas Ohel, so presumably it also excluded them from Tomas Kever, and the only form of Tumah which applies to a non-Jew is touching the body itself. So the Rambam is saying a principle regarding non-Jewish bodies, Tumah, that it only applies to direct contact with the body, not to indirect contact like Ohel or Tomas Kever. But he may not be saying any grand principle about Tomas Kever, that it only applies in the case of Tomas Ohel. But either way, says Rab Chaim, even though there are these two other approaches to read the Rambam that would not necessarily indicate that in any case where there's no Tomas Ohel, there's no Tomas Kever, but from the fact that the Rambam does say that Tumaritsutsa blocks Tomas Kever, so that does indicate, like Rab Chaim's formulation in the Rambam, that he holds that the two go along together, and wherever there's no Tomas Ohel, there's no Tomas Kever. That's why Tumaritsutsa can prevent the Tomas Kever, because it prevents Tomas Ohel, and that's also so why there needs to be a tefach of airspace for Tomas Kever in order to create the conditions of Tomas Ohel. So at the end of the brackets, Rab Chaim concludes that his way of interpreting the Rambam is correct. And even though there are other ways to make sense of all this, but it is reasonable to articulate it the way he's setting it up. So now this brings Rab Chaim to his even sharper formulation, which is that the Rambam says the whole requirement to have an airspace of a tefach for Tomas Kever is in order to block the Tumaritsutsa. If there isn't an airspace of a tefach, then the Tumaritsutsa blocks the Tumas Kever. So we need a tefach of airspace, which then blocks the Tumaritsutsa. So that allows the Tumas Ohel and then in turn the Tumas Kever to take effect. So the Rambam is saying that there is no inherent requirement of a tefach airspace for there to be Tumas Kever. It's not that in the laws of Tumas Kever, one of the requirements requirements is that there be a tefach of airspace. The whole purpose of the tefach of airspace is only to create a regular ohel, which will in turn block and transform the tumaritsutsa. So the tefach airspace of Tumas Kever is exactly the same as the tefach of Tumas Ohel. We basically need to recreate a Tumas Ohel within the grave to stop the Tumaritsutsa to allow Tumas Kever to take effect. But the tefach of airspace is not needed because of the Tumas Kever. It's needed like any other regular old Tumas Ohel requires a tefach of airspace. So now back to Rab Chaim's original question that he posed, in the case where there's a dead body under a wall and there's no tefach of airspace, but that wall is connected to a house, so the Tumah permeates throughout the house because of Tumas Ohel. So Rab Chaim wanted to know, does that Tumas Ohel transform the wall into 
Tomas Kever, or the Tomas Ohel exists even though there is no Tomas Kever. Says Rab Chaim, now that we understand the approach of the Rambam, so it follows that the whole concept of a Tefach airspace for Tomas Kever is only because we need to recreate Tomas Ohel, because without Tomas Ohel, there can't be Tomas Kever. So the whole point of the Tefach airspace is in order to create the Ohel, but in this case, there already is an Ohel because the rest of the house is the Ohel. So of course, the wall transforms into Tomas Kever. We're not going to say that the wall is not a Tomas Kever, even though there's a full Ohel in this case from the rest of the house. Once we created the Tomas Ohel in the rest of the house, so the requirement of a Tefach airspace falls off. We don't need that anymore because we have a full Tomas Ohel. So it transforms the wall also into Tomas Kever. So the answer to Rab Chaim's earlier question is that not only is there Tomas Ohel, but of course the wall itself also becomes Tomas Kever. So now, says Rab Chaim, that we understand the background to the Rambam's approach, now we can answer the two questions that he asked on him earlier. What the Rambam is trying to tell us in Parag Zion is that if there's a roof attached to the wall, not only is there Tomas Ohel throughout the sukkah, but the wall itself becomes a Tomas Kever. That's exactly the Chiddush that the Rambam is trying to tell us in this halacha, that the wall now becomes a Kever because the conditions of Tomas Ohel have been created by this sukkah. So that's why the Rambam includes this halacha in Perek Zion, not in chapter 24, where he's dealing with the laws of Ohel and dividing the wall in half, because that's not what the Rambam's trying to tell us. He's not teaching us the details of how to divide the wall in half and to evaluate the Tumah in terms of the rest of the house. He's teaching us a different halacha, which has to do with Tomas Kever, that any time there's a connected structure, so it creates Tomas Ohel that transforms even a wall with no Tefach airspace into Tomas Kever. So the Rambam is teaching us something about Tomas Kever, which belongs in chapter 7. And that's also why the Rambam doesn't differentiate between which half of the wall it's under, because he's not teaching us the details of the halachas of Ohalos. That goes later in chapter 24. We can look in 24 and apply it to the case in chapter 7. The Rambam is teaching us something totally different, which is that this wall, even though there's no tefach of airspace, it's still a form of Tomas Kever because it's connected to a structure which has Tomas Ohel. So that's the point of the Rambam's ruling, and that's why he doesn't get into the details of dividing the wall, even though the Rambam would agree that if the sukkah roof gets connected to the wall, so then of course we divide the wall in half, and only the inner part is part of the sukkah structure. So this is Rab Chaim's interpretation of the Rambam, that he's teaching us two different concepts in halacha, and the Rambam organizes his halachas very carefully. So in chapter 7, he's giving us the rules of Tomas Kever, which are that ordinarily there needs to be a tefach of airspace in order to block the Tumaritsutsa and to create Tomas Kever. But if there's Tomas Ohel because there's a roof attached to the wall, so that also creates Tomas Kever. And then in chapter 24, the Rambam is telling us the rules of how we evaluate the wall in terms of the rest of the structure regarding the rules of Tomas Oalos. Now in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim returns 
turns to explain the Ravid's disagreement with the Rambam. What points does he disagree about? So the Ravid in his comments to Halacha 4, and again, the previous piece of Rab Chaim analyzed this at length, the Ravid holds that Tumas Kever only applies when there's an exact airspace of a tefach, including the body. So there is Tumaritsutsa. So according to the Ravid, Tumaritsutsa is not in conflict with Tumas Kever, but it works together and it's necessary to create Tomas Kever. Now, in his comments to chapter 12, the Ravid adds on to this that not only is there Tumaritsutsa and Tomas Kever when there's an exact airspace of a tefach, including the body, but there's also no Tomas Ohel because since there's Tumaritsutsa, so there's no Tomas Ohel. So according to the Ravid, in the classic case of Tomas Kever, there is no Tomas Ohel. So the Ravid is now saying something totally different than the Rambam, which is that Tomas Kever does not require Tomas Ohel, and in fact, those two cannot coexist together. Wherever there's Tomas Ohel, there's not going to be Tomas Kever, because the Ohel blocks the Tumaritsutsa, which is a requirement for Tomas Kever. So the Ravid has a totally different understanding of the whole concept of Tomas Kever, that it relies on Tumaritsutsa and it's in conflict with Tomas Ohel, unlike the Rambam who holds that Tomas Kever is based on Tomas Ohel and it's in conflict with Tumaritsutsa. Now, the requirement that Tomas Kever requires a tefach of airspace, so according to the Rambam, that's because we need an Ohel in order to create Tomas Kever. So the tefach necessary for Tomas Kever is the same tefach that creates Tomas Ohel because we need an Ohel in order to create Tomas Kever. But the Ravid is obviously going to disagree with that because he holds that we can't have an Ohel if it's going to be Tomas Kever. So obviously the requirement that Tomas Kever needs an airspace of a tefach is a new halacha in the rules of Tomas Kever, nothing to do with Tomas Ohel. It's a separate requirement that a Tomas Kever also needs an airspace of a tefach. It happens to be the same measurement as the one needed for Tomas Ohel, but it comes from a totally different place. There is a rule that one of the requirements for a Kever is that it must have an airspace of a tefach to be considered a Kever and to have Tomas Kever apply. So that's the way the Raiv is going to understand the requirement of a tefach for Tomas Kever. Now, the Mishnah that says that if there's a dead body under the wall of a house, it transfers to the entire house. So that is in the rules of Tomas Ohel. But that has nothing to do with Tomas Kever because in order for it to be a Kever, it must have an airspace of a Tefach and that wall does not have an airspace of a Tefach underneath. So it's not considered Tomas Kever even though in the laws of Ohalos, the Tuma would transfer from that wall into the rest of the house. And the idea that we said in the Rambam that since there's Tumas Ohel in this case, it's going to affect the status of the wall itself and transform it into Tumas Kever is not correct according to the Ravid because he holds that these are two totally different tracks. So it doesn't matter that there would have been Tumas Ohel in this case. It still is not going to affect the status of the wall because the wall would need a tefach of air 
airspace on its own in order to be transformed into a keder. Since the wall does not have a tefach of airspace, it is not considered tumas keder, even if the tumah from this wall would transfer to the rest of the house. So Rab Chaim does a brilliant job showing how the Rambam and the Raivid in their different rulings and comments on these halachas are articulating two totally different concepts of the whole track of Tumas Kever, what other types of Tumah it's related to and how it interacts and is based off other types of Tumah like Ohel and Ritsutsa and how those two totally different tracks are going to play out in this case where there's a wall with a body under underneath it, connected to a structure. So it's a very brilliant conceptual framework that Rab Chaim creates in order to explain both of their approaches. And now, in his final point, Rab Chaim brings all of this back into the Ravid's disagreement with the Rambam in the case of the sukkah roof over the wall with a dead body in it. So the Ravid argued on the Rambam's interpretation of the Mishnah. The Rambam interpreted the third case of the Mishnah with the sukkah roof on the wall as going back on both earlier cases, even when there was no tefach airspace in the wall, so it's not Tomas Kever, but there still is Tomas Kever because the rest of the structure creates Tomas Ohel. That's the Rambam's interpretation. The Ravid disagrees, and he says that the third case of the Mishnah of the sukkah roof on the wall is only going on the second case where there's already a tefach of airspace, so it's already Tomas Kever, and there the Mishnah says that if you add a sukkah roof, the whole thing becomes tameh. But it's not going back on the first case where it's not Tomas Kever to begin with. So now Rab Chaim explains this along the lines of their differing approaches. The Ravid holds that Tomas Ohel in the rest of the structure is not going to transform the wall into Tomas Kever, as we've seen, because those are two different unrelated types of Toma. So since this wall does not have a tefach airspace, it's not going to become a Tumas Kever, even though the Tumah is going to permeate the rest of the structure. So that's why the Ravid says the Mishnah in the seventh chapter of Oalos is describing Tumas Kever. So it can't be that there's a case in the Mishnah which is not Tumas Kever. So the case of the Sukkah roof must be going on a wall which already has a Tefach of airspace, so it already meets the requirements to be a Tumas Kever. But it cannot be going back on the first case of the Mishnah where there's no Tomas Kever because there's no Tefach airspace. So that is not going to change even if there's a Sukkah wall. So that cannot be the case of the Mishnah because it has nothing to do with Tomas Kever. The Rambam, though, does read the Mishnah that way because, as we've said, he holds that once there is Tomas Ohel in the broader structure, that's going to transform the wall into Tomas Kever even though it's missing the Tefach airspace. So that's why the Rambam reads that the third case of the Mishnah of the Sukkah roof is going back even on the first case where there was no Tefach airspace, but since there's a roof over the wall, so that turns it into Tomas Kever. So this is the way to read the Rambam and the Ravid's dispute as to how to read the Mishnah along the lines of their overall dispute about the relationship of Tomas Kever to Tomas Ohel. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the ruling of the Rambam and even more so his interpretation of the Mishnah, that the case of the Mishnah is talking about where a sukkah is on a wall with a dead body underneath it that does not independently have Tomas Kever, but according to the Rambam, the Tomas Ohel permeates throughout the entire structure, as Rab Chaim explains throughout this piece. The key conceptual point
point is this debate between the Rambam and the Raivid as to the essence of Tumas Kever. According to the Rambam, Tumas Kever is based on a case where there would have been Tumas Ohel. That's why there's a requirement for a tefach of airspace. Whereas for the Raivid, the basis of Tumas Kever is Tumaritsutsa. That's the way that the Tuma is imparted. So that's why there cannot be a full tefach of airspace over and above the body. The tefach airspace measurement of Tumas Kever must include the body. Because if there would be a full tefach over and above the body, that would cancel out the Tumaritsutsa. That would create Tumas Ohel. So that would prevent Tumas Kever from taking effect. And according to the Rambam, that the basis of Tumas Kever is Tumas Ohel. So the very reason we need a tefach of airspace over and above the body to create Tumas Kever is to cancel out the Tumaritsutsa. So there's really a very wide-ranging and important debate between the Rambam and the Raivid in the very essence of what creates Tumas Kever.